Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And this is No Limits, a Mitch Rap podcast. So how are you doing this week, Mike? I'm good. It's, it's practically summer. The humidity, the heat is coming out, you know, almost midway through June. So we, we're there. We're there. The year's coming along. How about for you, Chris? It's nice. I actually got to go back to work in person this week, slowly but surely, doing a little bit of limit capacity at, at my institution. But that's I still got right. this podcast and I get to hang out with you. So that's, that's the light of my week. And we get to hang out with rap. Yes. Well, not rap well, this week, though. That's right. That's right. Uh, speaking about enjoying this podcast, we are grateful for our listeners. And uh, for our Twitter roundup, we've mailed out a few No Limits stickers. We picked one winner who picked my favorite book cover of Transfer of Power, which was cover A, the classic one. And that was Linda H. You can find her on Twitter at L-Y-N-D-A-N-N-E-0567. And our other winner picked Chris's favorite cover, cover F, from our little Twitter contest. And that was Benjamin Thomas at Pretty Cool Handle at Harvathians. He claims himself the um, founder of the unofficial scott harvath fan club oh i gotta so, join that fan club i love yes. this scott harvath there's really good things out there right now about near dark which comes out really soon the next book the the follow-up to backlash and so brad thor is getting a lot of really great great press right now they're saying this might be one of his best as i yeah. i really enjoyed uh backlash that was a, that was, that was good. a really good book yeah a lot of people online are saying get ready for this next one it's gonna be good nice yeah, so we're going to do the same uh, Twitter sticker cover contest for the third option, which we will be reading and reviewing in the beginning of July. We also got, to, to highlight one more listener, we got a really nice email from Donald K. Donald told us he is excited to find the podcast. He just discovered Rap, Flynn, and Mills, and is looking forward to making this a rap-filled summer as he reads and listens along with us on the podcast. So Sounds like uh, a good summer. You, yeah, great summer. <laughs> Thanks, Donald, for uh, for joining us in yeah. this adventure. Thanks for what listening. What are we covering today, Chris, on the episode? So on today's podcast, we're going to be doing something new, uh, something we I think we both enjoyed, but we're going to be breaking down two movies uh, that we mentioned uh, before. These two movies came out three months apart from each other in 2013, and those movies are Olympus Has Fallen, which was released in March of two- 2013, and White House Down, which was released in June of 2013. And these movies, they have, I don't know, we'll get into it, uh, similar plots and maybe heavily adapted from the Flynn book uh, that we just covered, Transfer of Power. But um, yeah, we're going to discuss that, discuss those movies, and I'm excited to uh, talk about that with you. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to go in with an open mind. Um, You know, I saw them when they came out, but, you know, it's been quite a few years. So I want to think about them in two ways and try to separate these two things in my mind. First, I wanted to watch them as action films and try to review them on their own merits and see if they have any inherent artistic or storytelling value. But I also was, want to be very, very conscious of how they may have used or relied upon Vince Flynn's writing in Transfer of Power, rightfully so, or, or perhaps unfairly. Right. We're we're gonna get more into that in a second, but you know, just when I first sat down to watch these again, I, I wanted to be like you. We sort of set parameters where we're just gonna first look at these as films. Like, how are they as films? And secondly, what sort of influence do they draw from Flynn? And how can we critique that? I thought you know, watching them, they were action movies, and they're very much so like my dad's film. Like he loves that kind of stuff. I, I mean, I they're enjoyable they're you know they're it wasn't like i thought i wasted two hours of my life watching them which i I have watched really bad action films that i've felt like it's a waste but with these you know i I enjoyed them and actually i remember watching olympus has fallen and thinking oh i like that and then when london has fallen i think me and my dad actually went and saw that one in theaters together i enjoyed that while i haven't seen angel has fallen the the third and i think it came out late last year it's now on Netflix and I plan to watch that uh, in the near future. So. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I remember enjoying them, having a good time, but I think there's some history, some conflicts going back to 2010, even when 
the first ideas of making a film about rap and the ideas of making a film like Olympus Has Fallen and White House Down were in the works. Right. So, you know, CBS films are pretty early on had a contract with Flynn to make a, a rap centric movie, a, a Flynn rap movie. And so originally you know, I was doing my research and they had sort of signed on or they had signed on for uh, an adaptation of Consent to Kill, which is interesting because that is the sixth book in the Mitrap series. And they actually had a script written for it done by the same guy, Jonathan Lemkin, who had wrote Lethal Weapon 4 and Shooter. And they had chosen um, Antoine Fuqua to direct it, who is the ultimate director for Olympus Has Fallen, which is interesting. And then eventually that project was decided to be disbanded for whatever reasons. And then they ultimately decided to CBS Films to make American Assassin the origin story of Mitch Rapp. And that's the movie that they eventually went on to make. So what do you think about, first of all, the choice of initially doing Consent to Kill, and secondly, the, the choice to abandon that and then go to American Assassin? I mean, I still long to see all of these as movies, and Consent oh, yeah. to Kill would be on towards the top of my list. <laughs> Definitely. Great uh, book, I, great I, book. I just don't know, and we don't want to spoil too much of later plots in the rap right. series in case there are any new listeners, but it is too heavy of a plot to start with where why consent to kill stays on your heart and your mind is because it has a major, major impact on rap's life and the people around him. And it will have a major impact on his family life as he's getting older. And so amazing book, but do you really want to start there to introduce a film? I'm not so sure. You mentioned they thought of American assassin. It turns out in 2010 is right when, Vince was writing American Assassin. I don't know. Everyone loves an origin story, right? But you do have to land that origin story in order to make a good franchise. I feel like all these studios, and, and this is a problem with a lot of different movies and, and franchise movies where they have it in their head. Oh my God, this is great IP. We have the potential to make five, 10, 15 films if we wanted to Look, think of the money. But if they don't land that origin story, they've lost the opportunity, right? And so I think in, I could see where they would want to pick Consent to Kill. Like, it's such a great book. It would lend a, a great story. Like, that that story in and of itself is is good. But when you're thinking about, oh, how do we develop this film franchise, it, it makes more sense to do American Assassin. And we're going we're gonna to talk American Assassin, hopefully review the film when we work on the book later down the road in this podcast, going publication order. But the reason we bring it up is there's an important intersection here with how those films being right. discussed back in 2010 relate to Olympus Has Fallen coming out and White House Down coming out three years later. And the key is Gerard Butler. Yep. He was not only a fan favorite to play Mitch Rapp in any future film, but Vince Flynn also endorsed him and said, yeah, I think he'd be the best fit. And as we know, Gerard Butler comes out doing Olympus Has Fallen. Yeah, I wanted to sort of follow up on that. When you think of Mitch Rapp, like an older Mitch Rapp, who's your ideal Mitch Rapp? There's, I mean, all the names that were thrown around sounded great. Both Hemsworths were, were discussed. Yeah, I would have liked to see Liam Hemsworth play the American assassin, Vince Flynn. I mean, sorry, the American assassin, Mitch Rapp, but we can talk about that when we watch yeah, the movie. He would have been great, but you know, um, there was, I believe, a social media push to get fans involved and in who they would think is a good fit. And one of the top choices was also Eric Bana, who I think would have been pretty good. Um, yeah. You know, thinking about Troy, I think he was Hector, right? Um, right. I think that would have been a great fit. He's Matt been in Damon. a bunch of like war movies. Yep. And Matt Damon apparently came up uh, on the list. Mark Wahlberg was a close fourth. So well, I'm glad not Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> I think you'd have to have size. You'd have to have tone, like skin tone. Um, and you just have to have that X factor, the badass factor, right? All those people we just named, I think, would fit that. And, um, well, we'll talk about ending with get how we get Dylan O'Brien later on when we get to American Assassin. Right. Apparently, Vince Lynn had gotten, you know, we're not the only ones to conclude that these two stories are very closely similar to his book, Transfer of Power. In 2013, he made some comments. He released these, these two statements in an address to fans. He says, my team and I have noticed the similarities as well and know of a second movie coming out this summer 
neither of these movies are Mitrap movies, nor do I have any involvement in either project. It's difficult to prove where a producer, director, or screenwriter gets an idea or to prove how their ideas may have been inspired. It's exceptionally difficult to prove this in court and the costs a lot of time, money, and usually amounts to a great deal of frustration. My team have, and I have decided to stay focused on a rap franchise writing one great rap novel a year and getting the American Assassin movie made. So he acknowledges it, probably not happy about it. Like he says, it's really hard to prove where someone gets their inspiration for something. Yeah, I think that letter is an important testament to Vince's character as well, because sadly, I believe this was written just a few months before his passing. And so he must have been struggling. And for him to just say... I'm going to, till my very last minute, focus on writing the next, I think he says kick-ass, uh, rap novel. I'm not going to go down fighting this in court, you know, bringing out the lawyers. And um, as hard as it must have been to see his ideas turned into this this uh, big Hollywood, you know, groundbreaking movie, two movies that would come out. I don't even, I believe he died before White House Down came out. It must have been hard, but he he said, I'm I'm just committed to you guys, the fans, and I'm going to stick to writing these books. The two uh, studios were competing with each other at the same time to fill these roles. Obviously, these are two movies that are very similar with each other. So everyone in the room has an idea of, oh, who we want to play certain characters. And in, in times, they were really fighting to get the director, a couple of the actors that were associated with each side. And so it's really interesting that the, that the studios chose to put these three months apart from each other. Actually, I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe White House Down was actually pushed up to be closer to Olympus Has Fallen mm-hmm. once they found out that uh, Olympus Has Fallen was coming out. Yeah, so we, we just hope to, on um, everything in this podcast, do justice to Vince Flynn's work. Yeah. And I think we're going to ultimately agree we wish these movies could have been a little bit more appreciative or perhaps um, directly dedicating some of the things they borrowed to him. And, you know, it's just more salt in the wounds that you mentioned before the director, Antoine Fuqua, was slated to do a rap movie as early as 2010 and eventually didn't finalize that and instead went off and did Olympus Has Fallen. So, um, you know, it is what it is, but um, our hope at least is to justify the great work the transfer of power is, but also let's have an honest discussion around these two movies, what they do and they don't do well. Definitely. So how about we get into our first film, uh, starting with the one that came out first and the one that I think is objectively better, Olympus Has Fallen. On Rotten Tomatoes, which, you know, take Rotten Tomatoes with a grain of salt, Olympus Has Fallen has a 49% score from the critics, which I guess tomato is... Tomato meter. Yeah, tomato meter, there it is. Uh, <laughs> and a 66% from the audience. So while the critics were pretty much split on the movie, uh, the audience seemed to generally like it. This film was made by Millennium Film Studios and it was distributed by the Film District. And as we mentioned before, the director was Antoine Fuqua, who has also done some really good movies. Uh, Training Day, Tears of the Sun, Shooter and Equalizer. And you know, in Shooter and Equalizer, you can kind of see like how he l- likes to do his, and I guess Tears of the Sun too, because that's a lot of war and action. But, you know, he does really good action movies. I, I would. And, and he works with, with big names. I mean, Equalizer, uh, you have Denzel Washington. Right. And Mark Wahlberg and Bruce Willis. And He's definitely prepared for uh, to take on, if he did, a rap movie. But he was also prepared for this one as well. Right. So let me just give you the summary from IMDb. So in the aftermath of a tragic accident involving President and the First Lady, uh, who are played by Aaron Eckhart and Ashley Judd, Secret Service agent Mike Banning, played by Gerard Butler, is handed his walking papers. When a powerful terrorist group seizes command of the White House and takes the president hostage, the entire nation watches as the Speaker of the House, played by Morgan Freeman, becomes the acting president and plans his response. Meanwhile, Banning finds himself trapped in the White House as it comes under siege from all sides, with no choice but to fight back against the heavily armed invaders Banning must rely on his extensive knowledge of the building to rescue the president and prevent the situation from spiraling into all-out war. What were your first impressions, Chris, once you, once you finished watching this? You know, as a whole, I liked the film. I thought the action was, was pretty well done. 
when comparing it to the second film we're going to do, White House Down, this movie was way less cheesy in its one-liners. And I feel like there was a little bit of comedy at, at some points, but it wasn't like over-the-top comedy that White House Down seemed to have. It was just tonally like a different movie. It, it was way more, this is an action movie. And, you know, while I had some qualms with the CGI and the plot, we, we'll talk about that as a whole. I, I thought it was a nice... Uh, pretty well done film you know it's not an oscar <laughs> not an oscar winning award film but you know for what it was I, it was entertaining i'm with you i i took it as an entertaining ride a good action movie and it was kind of cool now i mean the attack on the white house it's kind of cool it's this full-on barrage i mean we're talking ac-130 gunship coming in from the sky we're talking rpgs and bazookas being aimed at the front door uh, two fully loaded, I believe it was trash or recycling trucks, yeah. just implode so that they sink three feet into the ground and are immovable. And an onslaught of North Koreans attacking the White House literally through the front door. From the north side, they just bust the fence and walk right in and mow down the countless, I would say dozens of Secret Service agents just coming out the front door. And that's after wrecking havoc on the National Mall with the gunship just spraying down civilians to create chaos. And so, you know, some action scenes, they were just entertaining. Definitely, I want to get into some things that we thought maybe didn't work. But just to wrap up what, what I did enjoy, I like the ending too. You know, I talked about on our Transfer of Power review how the book left me wanting a little bit with this rushed ending and this rushed conclusion. It was really cool to watch Bannon, the Secret Service agent, go toe-to-toe with the terrorist. We actually saw the fight. We never really get to see Rap and Aziz going hand-to-hand. Uh, Rap ends up getting the upper hand, but it's in an epilogue. So it was kind of cool to watch Banning have to go toe-to-toe with the main villain. He carried the wounding president out, you know, getting him through the hall. We're seeing the remains of the White House completely burned out. So I like the ending. I like the entertainment. And, and let's just talk the casting. You had a great yeah. supporting cast here. I mean, Morgan Freeman... Speaker of the House, ultimately assuming the commander-in-chief position. Y- you can't beat him. No, not at all. I thought that was a great choice. You have Aaron Eckhart as the president. Yep. Great. Uh, Ashley Judd is his wife. She's only in the film for like eight minutes, but, you know, she's a great actress. The, uh, the director of Secret Service, was that? Was that oh, Angela, Angela, Bassett? Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett. She crushed. She held her own. She was basically, in Transfer of Power, you have the Joint Chiefs. You have the chairman right. of the Joint Chiefs, and you have the head of the CIA, Stansfield, as the main two voices in the commander-in-chief's ear. Well, you had here um, Angela Bassett as the Secret Service Director, one of the main voices, and she was just great. She held her own. So one of these, one of the podcasts that I, I regularly listen to is The Rewatchables, which you know they do something like this every week where they rewatch a movie and then talk about it. And I don't know if you've ever listened to that podcast, but they have awards that they put out for each movie. And one of the ones I like is they have this Dion Waiters award. He's a basketball player. And uh, if you didn't know that, Mike, uh, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and essentially it, it's a, an award that is distinguishing someone who is thinks that they're the best guy in the room or the best guy on the team or the best guy in the movie here in this case, but in actually they're like the fifth, fourth, sixth, you know, riding the bench player. And so in this movie, I really thought that D- Dylan McDermott was way overacting. To me, he gets the Dion Waiters award. Like everyone else, you know, their acting was sort of, it was spot on for what that position should be. But the rogue Secret Service agent who ends up helping them get in, his acting and his mannerisms were just, to me, were way overacting. Yeah, I didn't buy his character as this dejected Secret Service agent willing to sell out his country. Yeah. So I I think I'm with you on that. And one other positive actor to shout out, Kang, I forget um, yes. who the actor was, but uh, Kang, who plays the Korean terrorist, he, uh, he nailed Rick, that Rick role. Yoon. Rick Yoon. Rick Yoon really nailed that role. Yeah, so talking about, uh, I think Forbes was his name, this Secret Service agent who Forbes. you know gets in bed with the North Koreans and ultimately helps mastermind the attack of taking down the White House. I, I didn't buy his acting. Uh, I also just didn't buy his character. I mean, he has these two lines when he's explaining to Banning why he sold out and did this. 
He's like, how much does it cost to buy a presidency? You sold this country out. Or no, he's talking to, he talking to, he's the talking to Aaron Eckhart when, when he's chained up in the Piak in the bunker. And they completely just narrow the story down to he's disgruntled because money and politics and he thinks the current president sold out this country, blah, blah, blah. That's just a cheap device to make the White House takedown seem more realistic. Yeah. Like how, would, how would this group of terrorists have been able to do this? Oh, we need somebody on the inside. So let's just randomly make up a guy who's sick of the money and politics and doesn't like the current administration. I got to give credit to Vince Flynn and every other writer who respects law enforcement because while he has, while he plays with in the book transfer power and even term limits, what happens when parts of our own government turn right. bad? He never has those law enforcement or military figures be the ultimate evil, bad, yeah. bad guy, the enemy. They never sell out. Like Scott Coleman in term limits, right? He is the assassin. You like, you, he's the assassin. And, and you, you want to like him because he's making good argument of why he's doing this. But Vince never says he's doing it just because he's a bad guy. He's always doing it because he honestly deep down believes what he's doing is best for America. He's always a true patriot. And both of these movies, they make a Secret Service agent the scapegoat. In White House Down, we're going to find out it's the director of the presidential detail. And here it's just some random fed up agent they quickly turn very easily and become the bad guy. I feel like that doesn't do justice to why so many people get into and want to be on the presidential detail. They don't turn that easy. And so I thought it was a cheap device just to say, we need some reason the terrorists were able to do this. Right. And so they made up that character. Right. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Something else didn't land, just the terrorist group as a whole. To pick North Korea, I, I don't know if I, I bought into it. You know, they tried to force this line of, this guy Kang is a North Korean defector who has a child, was snuck across the DMZ and grew up his whole life in South Korea, but was still so, well, I mean, what was he, how old was he when he crossed the border that he got radicalized? <laughs> who would have thought that they would have penetrated the, the South, Korean, South government. Korean government, right? Oh yeah. And they're like, he's one of the most wanted terrorists in the world. Yet no one has a picture, a picture of, of him. Yeah. So how do you know he's one of the most wanted terrorists if you literally don't have any information on him? But then he comes up in your database and, and they even match a picture. They're like, oh, that's Kang. You're like, wait, you just told me you don't know who Kang is. Right, right. <laughs> but he's the most wanted terrorist on your list. Didn't buy it. No. Also, the whole Cerberus plot line and the fact that they were after this Cerberus thing was very confusing. And the idea that there are three codes given to the president and two other top officials in his cabinet that are completely walled off from anywhere else. They, like once they're set, they can't be changed. Like that would never happen, right? And the fact that they're like, what was it, eight digit codes that could, were just a string of numbers and, and symbols and, and letters, like, and that she's able to hack it? Yeah, and, and better yet, I mean, I guess it's, it's supposed to, the idea is the movie's trying to tell us it's a defense mechanism. If we accidentally launch a nuke and then Intel changes and we need to make a last minute abort, there's no way to do that. So Cerberus is a program to explode the missile where it is. So if it's in the air, it's in the air, or, you know, or before it crashes, explode it so it does less damage. But what the terrorists plan to do is get these three codes, which you're right, are ridiculous the way they're set up. I mean, the nuclear football, am I right, also has all these safeguards and mechanisms so you can act accidentally activate it, such as right. once the codes are put in, it still takes another level of a general to push the button or give yeah. the, the there's no button up but to give the final command it's not with the president's command i believe there's a second step yeah we'll get to the that Cerberus, in, the next, in the next next movie yeah forget everything about the nuclear football because we just have the cerberus we could do instead which all you need is these codes and then when they get the two codes they just run a, pro, a, a computer program to guess the third code What's the point of the third code if you're just going to have a computer program randomly scroll through all combinations and, oh, bing, we got the president's code. Like, if you could just get the president's code with software, what's the whole point of the system? Yeah, yeah, why can't you get, like, why couldn't you just run it for all of them? Yeah, it, that whole part just didn't make any sense. Gmail has a better system than that. If, if, someone, tries <laughs> to, yeah, if someone tries to log in in China, <laughs> I get an email saying, did you attempt this many logins? And it says, you, we're going to shut down your account. Like, that's my Gmail. There's nothing that important in my Gmail, let alone a freaking something that would potentially explode all of our nuclear arsenal. It's super dramatic in the moment. You're like, are they going to get the codes? I was kind of like, oh my God. So 
you know, once again, you're making a movie, but here's the thing. It might be a good movie doing that, but it can't be a great movie unless it also checks out when the suspense is over. If it leaves you thinking and wondering and like, oh my goodness, could it happen? Then you know it maybe is approaching great movie. This one is is enjoyable in the action, so it, it is good movie. But when the suspense is over, you're not left with anything deeper to chew on. You're not left right. with, oh my god, I can't believe. Can you imagine if? I think a good example that of that is like uh, the sum of all fears. You know, like Tom Clancy, mm-hmm. where they actually have like a nuclear detonation on U.S. soil. I think like in Baltimore somewhere, right? When something like that happens yep. and you think, holy shit, like this, this going to actually happen. The Cerberus thing is not never going to happen, you know? No. Another thing that didn't work with me, their demands or their first set of demands is basically remove the, I believe it's the seventh fleet from the Sea of Japan. And then also pull out all the 35,000 American troops at the DMZ. I feel like that would have been enough of what these terrorists would have wanted. Yeah. A Middle Eastern radicalized terror group would have wanted the next step of destroying America and setting these nukes off domestically to cause chaos to, you know, the great Satan. I don't feel this group of terrorists would have wanted or had motivation for that. Their motivation was to reunite the peninsula, you know, to bring the Koreas together. And I guess they would be against what they would see as American imperialism going back to the 1950s. And, you know, the agreement at the 38th parallel, but this particular terrorist group from this region didn't seem to me have a good enough motivation to want to then also let's blow up nukes across America. It it was kind of like an added thing just to make it. Let's throw this in to make it over the top. Yeah. Also, you're you're gonna you're gonna nerd out on the geography for us here in a second, right? I, I was I was just gonna say, can you please give me these one and a half minutes to nerd out here? Yeah, please, please do. So thinking good and great movie again is your attention to detail. <laughs> the same way with Vince Flynn, his attention to the military aspects or the law enforcement aspects or the government protocols, he nails it. This movie had a few moments where I was ready to break my TV. So there's a newscast going on in the background and it's trying to fill in the audience about the situation is at the White House. And the headline reads, Southeast Asia on brink of war. And they continue talking about talks in Pyongyang and the government of Korea is on high alert. And I almost lose it. Southeast Asia? (laughs) Uh, Southeast Asia? I I teach 11 and 12-year-olds geography. And we clearly define Southeast Asia and it's nowhere near when we study East Asia and the Korean peninsula. I mean, we're talking about the North Korean border being in Northeastern China, practically near Russia. Yeah. It's way more cold there than it is. Such a Northern latitude. And, and they're saying Southeast Asia on the brink of war. They couldn't even get the basic geography. right. And so a little thing like that showing up in the background on a newscast is enough for me to lose it. And then not to mention, the Koreans demand the Seventh Fleet be removed from the Sea of Japan. Chris, they wouldn't call it the Sea of Japan. It's, yeah, it's no, been they a wouldn't. Long, it's been a long-standing debate. Koreans are hardline north and south, referring it to as the East Sea or the Korean East Sea. So, for a North Korean terrorist who so loves his cause and his country to call it the Sea of Japan is inherently contradictory. So, even the naming conventions and the basic geography of where this is. You got to nail that, Chris. You got to. Is it just me? But that's the difference between a good movie and a great movie, right? Yep. Like great movies, yep. I think about all of the minutia, the small details. Yep. Like they would have, someone would have, they would have had someone comb that to make sure that they were saying that this character who's from this position obviously have is, this perspective. would have this perspective and be calling it that. And so, yeah, it, it, while you're right, not many people are picking up on those things. But again, you obviously did. It's important to you. So there's other geography teachers out there. It's the same as great literature, right? We, we said in the, one of the early episodes of this podcast, you miss a basic fact about a weapon or you misinterpret you know, something about the rank in the military. And all of a sudden, or you were referring to Skip McMahon being referred to as special agent. And not just those, agent. Yep. Not just agent. You miss those things in your writing and your research. You're going to turn off a certain portion of the audience. And in this case, I think it's, it could be a sizable portion of um, 
an international market for the film, um, particularly in East Asia, that I think you you miss out on uh, with mistakes like that. Right. I'll get off my high horse. <laughs> Can we wrap up with how you felt this movie related to Transfer of Power? How did this movie include elements from Transfer of Power? Do you believe it went so far as to rip off Transfer of Power? Or did it do enough to blaze its own path and be its own film? As a whole, I, I think I lean more on the edge that this film ripped off uh, Transfer of Power more than White House Down. Because when we look at the movie, it's literally the president is kidnapped by a terrorist organization. The president is then taken to the bunker. There is a difference in the fact that the terrorists are actually in the bunker in this movie. And there's subtle differences that they chose to change from Flynn's novel to uh, this movie. But ultimately, the president's in a bunker. Then one man has to go in who knows the building really well or is trained in the background. You know, obviously he's a Secret Service agent doesn't work for the CIA thing but uh, I, I think that that is just it's so it is the, the the utter outlining of what transfer power is like that I just thought that this movie was way more influenced than you, know, you did you're right I do agree that there were some ripoffs here and a couple of moments it really got under my skin definitely definitely so, like well, I don't know thinking like of someone going through an air vent the um Putting the, the kid. kid through the air vent, yep. So putting the kid in the air vent is one thing, and I'm like, oh, okay, it looks like they kind of borrowed that. And then I'm like, wait, do not make that air vent lead to a bush. Don't make it on the south lawn. <laughs> and you, you, you push aside the shrub, and there's the duck to the, the, the exit to the vent, please. And then all of a sudden, cutscene, a couple of agents coming in, pulling up a bush, and there it is, a duck on the lawn. And I'm like, oh, they did it. Same, yeah. same thing with the drilling, right? I was like, oh, they're in the bunker and the terrorists are in there, so they won't have to have somebody drilling at the door. And then cut scene, and we see a group of the terrorists with a drill drilling into thick concrete walls. And I'm like, oh, they're doing that too. Right. And, and then oh, when they bring out the Secretary of Defense, played by Melissa Leo, to put her out there and shoot, and then it, it totally mimics when in Transfer of Power, Aziz brings out the NSA and does actually shoot him. That, that to me was, you know, a ripoff, but at the same time changing it a little bit because, you know, she gets saved. But in every case, there was subtle hints to like, oh, how do we do this? How do we steal from this, this text? At least that's how I felt. How do we steal from this text? But let's tweak it. Kind of back in grade school when you were plagiarizing from a friend <laughs> and you were like, oh, I can't say exactly. So I'm going to write the sentence and then how can I doctor it up to make it <laughs> different but the same? Trust me, Chris, they still do it in middle school. and they still uh, do it in high school. You probably see them a lot. Chris, I've even had parents tell me, what do you mean that's not plagiarism? I told them to change a few words, and I just, oh, my God. Oh my, yeah, let's write it, copy it, change a few words, you're good. That, that's yeah. exactly right. what this movie felt like to me. And you actually brought to me one, a line that actually Banning says oh, yeah. that it was very similar to what Rap says in, in Transfer Power. You want to share that? So this was one of the top moments where I too was like, mm, they, they stole the book. You know, you have Banning, who is a super secret service kind of agent. But as far as we know, he doesn't have much international experience. They say he was an army ranger. I don't even recall them saying he was in Delta Force. And they, uh, they just say ranger. Yeah, they just say ranger. And they certainly don't even tell us he's been on very high profile missions during his service. We don't get that yet. I think he specifically says, you can't give this guy what he wants. I've dealt with these types of men before. What and men have you dealt with before, like in a hostage situation? Yeah, we he, don't know that he has. Yeah, we don't. Where with Rap, we had the Farah Harut scene, and we knew Rap had history catching these guys in the Middle East. We knew that Rap dealt with Aziz. It was built up for us that he has personal history, and it ultimately turns out you know, Aziz was involved in the Lockerbie bombing. So we are given so much more backstory, yet they just decide to borrow the line of Banning saying, I've dealt with these types of men. You're, you're, you're a Secret Service agent. Like, we never heard how or when you did. Right. I think that line was just straight up stolen. Yep, I agree. And I'm not going to go easy on him, you're right. The big theft was the star, Gerard Butler, Anton Fuqua. Yeah. Obviously, they had the chops to do this kind of movie, and they were in talks to do it as a rap movie, which ultimately down the road would have led to transfer of power being made, I believe. And so 
they jump ship. And so that was one of the ultimate letdowns of Olympus has fallen. Honestly, instead of getting this movie, I would have preferred the, the Gerard Butler consent to kill movie. Uh, oh, uh, you give me a Fuqua directed Gerard Butler starring consent to kill movie. Nailed it. Instead of this, let white house down flop, you know, a few months from now. Yeah, who instead, cares? Those, those two did consent to kill. Heck if they did American assassin rolled it out a few years early. I know it was just written in, you know, 2010, 2011, but much would have preferred that. Yeah. Let's change gears here a little bit and focus on our second movie, which is White House Down. Came out three months after Olympus has fallen. So this movie on Rotten Tomatoes had a little bit better critic score, which I thought was hilarious. Not not much better. Two points. Fifty one percent. And the audience liked it less with sixty two percent. But pretty much even, I would say. It was directed by Roland Emmerich, who also directed some of my favorite movies, Independence Day. Love that movie. The Patriot, great movie. Legend. Legendary. Uh, the Day After Tomorrow. Not legendary. <laughs> but a great movie. <laughs> 2012, entertaining. Um, and his most recent movie was Midway, which I haven't seen, but I've wanted to see. Not Definitely not The Patriot. Uh <laughs> No. In White House Down. But this movie was released by a, a little bit bigger studio and done by Columbia Pictures. And it was re- released by uh, Sony's distribution uh, wing. Uh, and so just to read the IMDb summary, we have dejected after being turned down for a position with the Secret Service, but unable to break the news to his adoring daughter, Capitol Policeman John Cale, played by Channing Tatum, is taking her on a tour of the White House when a powerful explosion rips through the building, sparking mass chaos. When the smoke clears, Kale learns that heavily armed rebels have taken both his daughter, played by Joey King, and the president, played by Jamie Foxx, as a hostage. As news of the attack creates mass panic and fear of total collapse, Kale realizes that the fate of his daughter and the entire rest of, his, of the nation rests in his willingness to fight back against the terrorists who have brought the most powerful nation on the planet to its knees. So, Mike, what were your first impressions of this? I didn't enjoy it as much as Olympus has fallen. Yeah. I didn't think it was as good a movie. I don't think either of them are great, but I don't think it was as good of a movie. And the CGI and graphics were certainly worse. Oh, and the cheesy but, one-off uh, liners really killed me, man. So that's the other thing. I was so turned off by this movie and the cheesy jokes and the, the dumb laughs. And I'm like, I thought this was the White House being taken by terrorists. Like, Transfer of Power, I rarely thought of laughing reading that book. Oh, yeah. not No I, comedy at all. But you, you got to move the goalpost. Uh, halfway through the movie, I kind of just was like, you know what? They're going for a family film. Yes, there's blood, guts, and gore, but they're kind of just going for a, a nice afternoon. The kids can watch it with you. And once I realized that, I was like, you know what? I'll appreciate some of these jokes a little more. Once I learned to appreciate some of those jokes, I got over the cheesiness of it and thought of it as a family movie, and I had more fun with it. No, I would, I would agree with you. Like, I guess going into this, I was you know, sort of geared towards finding comparisons with Transfer of Power. And like you said, Transfer Power was very much no comic relief, really. And most of his Flynn's writing doesn't really have comic relief. And I'm okay with that. But, and I I guess I'm also okay with having comic relief in some action films. At at times it's funny, but in this case, there was a lot of it. And a lot of it was really cheesy. I guess, so let's just dive into some of the things that we did like about this movie. Well, you know, it goes hand in hand with the comedy is it made Jamie Foxx better because obviously he's a legend, right? Right. He's done so much. But starting this movie, he wasn't doing it for me. He no. was giving these speeches, trying to be presidential. He Out was of character. The news. He, yeah, he, it, he wasn't really fitting his, his style. But once you brought in the comedy of it and you brought in the action, Jamie Foxx just comes around. I mean, there's oh, a yeah. scene where he's they're climbing the elevator shaft, right? They make it to the residence. And he's like, shoes, I need some shoes. He's about to grab the dress shoes. And instead, it looks like he grabs the Jordans. He ends up, uh, one of the terrorists like grabs his shoes after he killed him, thought he killed him. And he's like, hands off my Jordans. Like when you, when you don't think about this movie as an action film or in the context of Transfer of Power, that some of these things are hilarious and they're yeah. funny. 
but and definitely Jamie Foxx shines in that laughter. I also like the scene where he's obviously tense. He opens up his drawer to find a sat phone and it's just covered in Nicorette gum. <laughs> yeah. And then he grabs it, grabs some and offers it to, to uh, Kale. And this like, it throws two pieces in and he's smacking the gum. He's like, do you smoke? He's like, neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At first I was like, I, I thought this was going to be a super serious movie. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to hear all these jokes. And then I learned to appreciate them. And Another thing that I thought worked that I really liked was Kale's daughter. Uh, and specifically like the acting by Joey King, who has gone on to do some good stuff. I recently saw her in The Act, which is a dramatization actually of like the HBO special Mommy Dead and Dearest about Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Mm. Highly recommend it if you haven't watched that uh, Netflix series. But she was really good as Kale's daughter. I really thought she had great acting. Uh, what did you think about her, Mike? Yeah, she was lights out acting. I, I- I'd go so far as to say the best performance in the movie. I mean, obviously not an award-winning movie, but I, I think she could have gotten something. And for what it looks like, you know, she's a, a teenager, a preteen. She phenomenal acting in, in, in that movie. And her character as well is just this very strong-willed kid. She, she plays really well. These like teen drama problems. of Yeah. To ignore she's very dorky, quirky. She's yeah. Dorky at the same time when she's getting a tour from this equally sassy tour guide, he's asking all these questions and she's hand shoots up. She's answering all of them. You know, she just played all those roles, the drama roles, the comedy roles, the dorky teenager role to a T. Right. Uh, one other thing I think we both agreed on that we liked from this film was the helicopter scene where they've, they've developed this plan outside of the secret service and they're trying to take back the white house and they fly through the, you know, the streets, very low formation. They fly actually under, I think, the key bridge. And I don't know, I like the scene mainly because, of, again, this whole nostalgia factor. And I enjoyed that scene. I also thought that was really cool. <laughs> and the speed camera clicks them. I hate those speed cameras. <laughs> so I got to admit, I, I appreciate the helicopters because from the very opening scene, they make that part of this movie's thing. They actually yeah. Actually- the president wants to do the thing and Maggie Jill, was cool. the secret service alerts the pilots. They go down into the reflecting pool, you know, skim right in front of the Lincoln Memorial, come really close around the Washington monument. Another helicopter thing bothered me though. Cause you mentioned coming in under the key bridge. It's not that big. And, and then second going over to Chinatown, Chinatown is East of the white house. So you, you they were going in a really weird. Yeah really weird way it looked like k street because you yeah. can see the divided road and so i'm like you went through k street which means you would have passed the white house you would have flown right over the white house and now you're in chinatown which is the other side of the city if this is a covert mission for them not to detect you they would have already they would have already figured it you out gave them enough time from enough angles you, you, you literally circled the white house and backtrack so the cgi and the helicopter scenes it was terrible it was crummy but once again if you're looking at it just a fun movie to spend an afternoon sure, it was cool yeah sure it worked one more thing I wanted to say that kind of worked to me that I feel like also plays heavily into what Vince does is this idea that the politicians are the villains, the ultimate villains. And in his cases, most time the politicians are the secondary villains. Although every now and then, which I think we're going to be getting to soon with the next couple of books, the politicians are the direct villains and the ones calling the shots like that you might not necessarily see. And in this case, we get that twist at the end. I actually, I thought that the, the acting with the twist wasn't the greatest, but I, I appreciated the twist with the Speaker of the House being the bad guy. And as soon as I saw the beepers in the beginning of the movie, something clicked to me. I, I had forgotten that he, I had sort of remembered he was the bad guy like halfway through the movie because I'd obviously seen this before. But I wrote down on my little sheet of paper, I wrote beepers, question mark. And I'm like, who the hell is beepers? Like, what's up with that? Let's, uh, let's say some things that we generally thought didn't work so if you remember me loving the terrorist and disease obviously not what they stand for but i just loved how they were as characters and as yeah. a cohort of these these villains this movie ruined it for me yeah. they did not get it right it's a ragtag bunch of people i'm like oh so there's this mercenary who's hired just for money and he's ex delta force okay he'd be really good at his job and he's working with some russian guy who has a very Russian name. Like, why is he on the team? Who is he? And then it turns out the ringleader is the director of the secret service who has fallen. 
And then they decide to randomly hire some hacker dude. So now we got this nerdy hacker guy. Right. And none of that and also together for me. The white supremacist dude who holds down the hostages, like that's right. Who are you and how do you know these other people? And really you just got hired as mercenaries for money to storm the White House? If you were smart about that, you would have said, Hell no to that offer. Yeah. And so I'm like, how'd you get this group together and why? And then in the end, the hacker guy, he played no other role but to make it more dramatic, saying, Look, I'm able to download the government info and launch missiles for you well he is the one who takes down the vice president in air force one because he's able to hack the missile system but these guys are not really together at all and so how do you end the story and they just have the hacker blow himself up accidentally yeah i didn't what what cheap way to get rid of a meaningless character that was that scene was weird where he's just like "Uh uh-oh like what they had changed the how did that mess up? Like he, he did something wrong. He, they changed the code. Am I wrong? And they never explained like why his card would cause it to explode. Nope. He just swiped the card of a bomb that he set up and explode. You just had to get rid of him. Right. Yeah. Like, cause he played no other role. So uh, I, I would agree with you that the, the, the cohort of villains was really bad. Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, uh, who's like the deputy director of the presidential detail. She brings up this whole idea of the matrix, which is like the top, people that might pose a threat to the president on a daily basis. And I'm guessing that that thing actually exists and probably shows up on the president's daily briefing or, or whatever, but come on. That, you, that you was done one, better. That was the one point where I almost bought into the terrorists. I was like, it's ragtag group. And then she goes, it's the matrix. He's bringing together the top most wanted list of threats. But then I'm like, I don't have a good reason to understand why these guys are on the Secret Service top list of threats. Maybe an FBI most wanted. Yeah, Maybe a CIA, you know, blacklist. But the Matrixing was kind of cool. And I'm like, wait, but we don't know why these guys, how did they threaten the president? Why would they be on that list? And then they never talked about it again. So another kind of letdown. Another big letdown. It really bothered me that the number one way we as the audience were expected to keep up with the plot developments was random background news reports. Oh, yeah. And I'm okay if you do that in the beginning, right? Oh, we need a little more background about Jamie Foxx, the president's uh, Middle East peace plan. Sure, have a speech on the news in the background or have him talking with his wife about this Middle East peace plan. Sure, set the stage. But then every step of the movie... How do we get information about what's going on? It's a news reporter doing a newscast. Yep. Oh, it seems like the terrorists have hostages. Oh, we have a Capitol police officer on the inside who's going to save the president. Oh, they're in an elevator shaft. You know, it's just, and then at the very end, they kept it up to the very end. Oh, we have an airstrike coming in and we're standing blocks from the White House. Oh, yeah. That... Oh, there's an airstrike coming in and there's a girl waving a flag on the, on the South Lawn. Oh, it looks like they're going to call off the airstrike because she's waving a flag and they see it. I'm like, I don't need the freaking news to moderate and explain to me everything going on in the plot. And if I do need that, you wrote a really bad script. Yeah. First of all, the fact that the way more wider, wider radius would have been cleared from the white house. The news is not getting that close. Second of all, when you talk about the airstrike, well, did you find it interesting that the, the air, the pilot is actually the one that decides to call it off because the, obviously the speaker of the house who's the ultimate bad guy doesn't want to call it off. Like, do you think that would actually happen? I, you know, I don't know enough. And just, you know, we have no military experience or background, but just as, as pure storytelling, I wanted to believe in that. That was yeah. one moment where I was like, I like that. Even, even though they're doing it in a very small way, they're playing with this idea of, is it always justified to follow orders? Right. Even the most disciplined of a soldier, is there a threshold at which denying an order that they think is just wrong or denying an order that is based on false intelligence. I love that idea of playing with that in storytelling because, I mean, th- that could have been the difference of going to Iraq or not, right? It's the, the whole drums. plot of the movie, The Green Zone. Have you ever seen that there movie? There you go. If yeah. the grunts are, are always just supposed to carry out the orders, what happens when the orders are wrong? So I was like, yeah, cool theme. But again, this movie plays with it for five seconds in an ending that I don't really care about anyway. Yeah, I agree with you. The Two of the other big things I just wanted to bring up that didn't work the casting of Channing Tatum as Kale and, you know, the Capitol police and his like humor in his interview and just everything with that whole plot was, I mean, obviously they had to figure out a way to get some guy who was going to help out the president um, be this sort of tag team 
in again, Channing does well when it's like an action comedy. I think like you think of like 21 Jump Street, James Wood, like the whole, this turn secret service agent with, he has cancer, his son died. Again, I, if we were giving out the Dion Waiters award, I thought he was way overacting in this movie. And then the scene with his wife was interesting where she was just like, who, if you're doing it for Johnny, give him hell. Like, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Like sell out your country. Yeah. That, that sort of, that, that scene was like, all right, we didn't need that. Let's get to it, though. What is the relationship between this movie and Transfer of Power? Yeah, unlike the last one, besides the fact that this is a movie about the White House and terrorists attacking it, I didn't see that many specifics parallels. Obviously, there's a guy who they run in, and in this case, Kale is already there in the White House when it gets taken. And the other one, Banning, sees it happening and then runs in. You know, neither of them are they're specifically sent in. I thought that, you know, while there are comparisons where he's obviously talking to someone at the Pentagon in both movies, you get these sort of conversations between the guy on the inside and, and the players on at the Pentagon. I didn't see that many parallels besides like the, you know, again, the overarching principle. I'll agree with you. I think white house down once I realized it was just going for over the top ridiculousness, you know, it yeah. didn't care really about being realistic I really didn't feel like it took too much from transfer of power besides the White House gets taken by terrorists and there are these hostages. And it wasn't even just, we made a few little changes and tweaks to get out of it. Like that was, that was pretty sleazy by Olympus has fallen. And so yeah, ways definitely to make the, to try to hoodwink you and say, we're not really doing transfer of power. We have our own movie, but it's so close. This one, I think they just blew it up and they just said, we're doing our own thing. And we're doing the most outlandish shit ever. We're blowing up. Yeah everything the pool driving a, a limousine we're gonna get into that once i appreciate you're just going over the top i didn't even think about transfer of power anymore except there was one part i wonder if you caught this it was so on the nose when he's about to launch the nukes and he's going to target iran and the fact that they lingered on this little detail for a couple of extra seconds makes me think there's intentionality here did you remember the first city that pops up on the map targeted by the nukes? And they leave it for a good three or four seconds. Bandar Abbas. Bandar Abbas, southern Iran. Why choose that city? The city where rap got Farah Harut. Scene one of rap ever. And I'm like, why else choose Bandar Abbas? I, I have no research on this city. Well, I mean, it's on the Strait of Hormuz, so it probably plays a central role in and out of the Persian Gulf, you know, in the oil trade and right and whatnot and and military operations but why choose that city as the first one you target if if you're going for we want the audience to know we're targeting iran you make tehran you you put tehran really big right across the screen right you don't pick bandar right. boss right yeah one other small thing that i just to you know I, when i was thinking about comparisons i guess like the comparison with the vice president in when they do have the transfer of power the invoking of the 25th amendment the vice president while he's not like you don't really see the whole he's trying to be, although you do get it a little bit with his, the guy who had like a, a really bad balding, his chief of staff. Chief of staff yeah. You could see that he's like smiling and like super giddy and he's mouthing the words for the 25th amendment. Kind of like he was like hoping that this would happen. He's like the uh, Dallas King. Is Dallas King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that I had some comparisons between him and vice president Baxter with the, with the vice president here. That, that was like a small little thing. I could see that. I could see that. I, it, a little bit of a reverse, though, right? Because that vice president is saying, send the military and bomb the right, White House. Let's right. get it over. Where Baxter was a bumbling fool saying, I don't want to send the military in because then I'll look bad when things go south. Right. So Yeah, but they were, they were both kind of those idiots. Way different than like what Jamie Foxx's character or like Aaron Eckhart's character would be. Or even President Hayes in Transfer right. Power. Like very right. decisive, you know, willing to trust the authorities, willing to go along with the intel. Yep. All right, let's wrap up with our winners and losers. Nice. Comparing White House Down, Olympus Has Fallen, and Transfer of Power. We have a couple of categories for you. And Chris, I want to hear from you your take on these categories, and we'll see where we, we match up. So who is the winner for our best villain out of these three stories? I really... if So are we choosing between the movies and 
also transfer power or all three of them together? I, th- I think you're right. Transfer power would win. <laughs> yeah, I think like if, if we were to do all these categories, yeah. I'm going to go transfer power. But yeah, I'll, I'll give you sort of a little two for answer. So if we're just comparing the two movies, I'm definitely going to have to go with Kang um, and you know his North Korean alliance. I, I thought that they were a better uh, movie, even though we we gave some sort of faults to their actions and, and what some of the demands that they wanted. I thought he was a better villain than the mercenaries and it was very complex. Like eventually they wanted like the nuclear weapons and to, which was all just to get him money and to destroy the middle East and to also be kid him president like that. White house down just had a way more confusing, like overall plot, but yeah, I'd have to go with Z's like, uh, is better is the best of the, I'm with you. Aziz and the terrorists were definitely yeah. the best best gang of the bunch. But if you go movies, Kang in Olympus Has Fallen was was pretty compelling and just great acting. Yeah, and I think that that's the problem with movies that we can have. That and again, that's what makes goes from a good movie to a great movie is you have such limited time with these people. You know, you have two, two and a half, three hours maybe. Whereas a book, you have I don't know, takes me ten hours to read one of these Mitch Rab books. Uh, you spend more time with, with the characters and like you might spend a whole chapter just learning something about them. Whereas we don't get that in movies and, but you, or we don't get that specifically in these movies. You could still do it artfully though. And so that's right. where the greatness and the, the skill comes in and you can still do it in that limited time through a film. It's just, you know, you're going to get less background. So you have to authentically weave it in, in a way that that works and hits home, but it can't be too on the nose. And both of these movies had far too many too on the nose. straight up on the nose. Yeah. All right, Chris, uh, best hero, and obviously, you know, our boy Rap is going to win every time, but let's talk movies. Uh, you have Mike Bannon, or you have Channing Tatum's character. John Cale. Uh, this is pretty easy for me. I think Mike Banning is a badass. I think Gerard Butler would be a great Mitch Rap. Like, so I was kind of like finding a, a little bit of a hard time to delineate between the two, but yeah, I really like Banning in the movies. You know, this next one, though, best supporting cast how do you feel that there was no milt adams in either of the movies this sidekick for the main hero it was totally this lone wolf hero going in which one had the better supporting cast knowing that in transfer of power we love milt adams and irene kennedy and stansfield so much which movie pulled off a supporting cast better yeah i think you have to look definitely at like the players in the pentagon and and who was better and you just have to go with olympus has fallen they just had better actors to fill those roles. Uh, and also I, I think while I, I did appreciate Jamie Foxx's humor, he didn't play that great of a president for me. Uh, I thought Aaron, Aaron Eckhart was just more presidential, but yeah, I, I really liked, you know, Morgan Freeman and Angela Bassett. I agree with you. Nothing else to add there. The casting on Olympus has fallen. is excellent. I almost wish that was the exact casting as in some cases it was supposed to be for a Mitch Rapp series. All right. Um, Best president. I know we talked in transfer of power of liking Hayes, very quick decision maker, trusting his personnel, trusting his military and intelligence officers. What do you think about President Asher, played by Aaron Eckhart in Olympus Has Fallen? And we've talked about it a bit, but Jamie Foxx as President Sawyer. It's pretty badass for a president to do some of the things that, that Jamie Foxx did as, as Sawyer and really getting in the action. In the other sense, we had Asher who was taken as a victim and he really showed his perseverance and he's like, I thought it was cool. I was like, they're never get my code. And then like, that was sort of like just diminished by the fact that they were able to break his code. Anyways, we, t- we hashed that out, but uh, I'd have to say just purely on like who I thought was a more presidential figure. Uh, it had to be president Asher and, and Aaron Eckhart. I'm with you. That was definitely more presidential, but if we talk entertaining, Jamie Foxx, Oh yeah, Jamie Foxx is entertainment moving sure. through the white house, climbing elevator shafts. I think eventually shooting some people yeah and then he gets um, shot oh, it was the pocket watch. oh that's right the pocket the pocket saved his life yeah that's right his that was pretty cool him, that was pretty um, cool uh Abraham lincoln's Lincoln pocket watch which saved his life and took the bullet that was it pretty fun like that was cool so on like intense scenes what what was your favorite action scene i thought the limo on the south lawn was kind of cool it was just so <laughs> over the top and unrealistic and by that point i was okay with the humor of white house down because i've given up on it being a serious movie jamie fox brings out a missile launcher hanging out a window of the beast the presidential limo we got a tank you know blown up by an rpg on the roof we've got that funny terrorist guy with the hostages yeah it just oh it was out of control all this carnage and uh (laughs) it's just that fun 
for me, I appreciated both helicopter scenes in both movies. Uh, I always enjoy a good helicopter scene. Uh, you have the one in Olympus Has Fallen where they're at night, they're coming in, and you have that like Hydra 6 intense machine gun that shoots them all down or all but one down. Uh, and then, you know, we've already critiqued like the whole helicopters going through the city and how it's not plausible and stuff like that. It, well, you know, uh, we didn't make that mistake though with the helicopter scene. And I think the helicopter scene is better than both of these term limits. Yes. Yeah. That, I, still, I still like that scene. I, that's again, that's the better version of the helicopter scene, the helicopter scene uh, right. in, in White House Down. While I do think the opening scene or the, op- the White House tank down in Olympus Has Fallen is a little bit flawed, like it looked like, I think on the writing on that giant airplane, what, what what's that airplane the called C-130, again? The yeah, the C-130, yeah. I think it said Air Force, like United States Air Force, so. Really? Because okay, that, that might help me, though, because I'm wondering, when you first see this uh, gunship, it's going over the Chesapeake, and it's approaching D.C., and the next shot, is it over the Kennedy Center? Right. And so that really made me think of, like, are we really that lax? And so maybe if they hijacked this or stole it from an Air Force facility, then maybe, you know, it's more realistic for me but yeah the movie never told us that. no if, if you could have gone in a little more background to that because i'm thinking i'm like first of all you I'm let like, it how get... they get this gunship because then i'm wondering you know when i first came to dc i was shocked i'm like i always grew up thinking there's this restricted air zone right like planes won't be anywhere near here now especially in a post 9 11 world you know and then i'm like planes are flying over here all the time and they're commercial jets coming in and out of reagan national you have just maybe a mile and a half west planes flying over the Potomac River at very low altitude landing at Reagan National. And so I'm like, I never knew that. So when I see a movie with a plane invading airspace, do we really intercept them that late? That shocked me. That, that was interesting. Yeah. Makes me wonder about the real life. And then Hydra, that gun on the White House, like, is that real? Is like, that real? Do we have any anti-aircraft plans for the White House? Like, we must, right? I, I hope so. Because those F-16s, I think, uh, scrambled out of Andrews, and they were like, we're three minutes out, five minutes out. I'm like, a gunship on the Kennedy Center is not going to be three minutes out from the White House. Yeah, no. <laughs> so I'm like, I just hope we have more of a plan than, than that. On that note, like, what, which movie did you think, or, or which story do you think is the most realistic out of all three? So while you're right, the ground attack in Olympus Has Fallen to take the White House was super cool. It was total yeah. carnage on the, on the North Lawn. I thought that was cool, but most realistic and what scares me is what White House Down did. Right. They had an AV crew who was fixing the sound system right, in the presidential right. movie theater. Because obviously those guys are going to need heavy equipment, right? Big toolboxes. I'm sure they're scanned to some degree. Yeah, but like, that's... what happens to construction workers and custodial staff and other repair people that need heavy equipment and bring yeah. it into the White House. Like in the Capitol, it's the custodial worker who has a bomb. And wow. like the one the one Capitol Police officer like bumps into it and is like, when did you guys walk through here? Like, wouldn't you normally just like be like, all right, that seems off. So I don't, I'm not just going to steal a napkin and walk away. I don't know. That was, but yeah, you're right. I think that's probably the most vulnerable area. And it's similar to transfer of power where you- He's already these, on the inside. You have these vulnerabilities when you're on the inside. And so, yeah, I'd say the most realistic- to a certain point would be White House Down. So there's one other thing that White House Down did with that AV crew is they weren't armed. When the first person comes in and is like, we're crashing, you guys shouldn't be here, Stens kills him with a staple gun. I believe right. it was a staple gun to the and chest. Then he gets it, then he gets and they gun. pick up the weapon. Yep. And then White House Down did a deliberate job of showing the other terrorists behind Stens picking up guns of fallen uh, Secret Service. So Again, I think that kind of vulnerability from the inside and some sort of lax protocol. Yeah, because you could imagine that, like, these construction workers are going to have to have, you know, something that could be used as a weapon. So, all right. Well, here's um, here's a question for you. Final thoughts. Did they rip off Vince Flynn? Because <laughs> the Mercury News reported, "quote These movies owe Flynn big time." Do you agree? I I'd say yes, and. I th- I've hashed out, you know, the reasons why, but definitely Olympus has fallen. Um, to me, seems like, you know, your sixth grader turning in a report of their buddies that they just changed a few words and we're going to call it good. Uh, I-, I think they definitely owe Vince Flynn. And-, and then obviously these movies were being developed at the same time. So, you know, how how do these scripts both happen at the same time? Uh, you know, they're fighting for the same actors. 
yeah, they, they have, they have Vince a big deal. What, what about you, Mike? I agree. They absolutely owe Vince. I would have really appreciated and think it would have gone a long way for some recognition, even a cameo, right? Show a bookshelf with the Vince Flynn books on it and pan yeah. it for a few seconds. That would have been Show cool. Aaron Eckhart as president or Jamie Foxx as president, like just reading appreciating the craft, you know, make one of them a reader sitting there with their feet up, reading a book, you know, have a nod to it at least. And so the fact that they didn't do that was like salt in the wounds. Well, at the same time, they they didn't straight up steal the story. True. I in some cases they changed minor details, which isn't fair, and they made a lot of money off of it. Without having a nod of respect or recognition for transfer of power, it it really it's it's it soured the whole experience. It's tough, man. Well, this was fun. Uh, I was glad we could do fun. this. What are we going to be covering next next episode, Mike? Our next episode, we will cover Vince Flynn's third book and the second book involving Mitch Rapp, The Third Option. So we'll be releasing our summary and review episodes, part one and two of The Third Option, early July. Also on Twitter, we will have our third option cover contest where you get to pick your favorite cover. And then going forward, we're going to be changing it a little bit in our lead up to Total Power. We want to jump off the uh, publication order that we've been going with. And we're going to, instead for August, we're going to be reading and doing Lethal Agent as sort of a context because in September, Total Power will be coming out. And so just to have that continuation, we are going to be doing Lethal Agent. So I'm excited for August and September, you know, jumping to the, the newest in the rap series, getting to read some Kyle Mills. And we'll even have some bonus episodes all about Lethal Agent and the release of Total Power sprinkled in. So stick with us. And July is third option. Yeah. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us online at mitradpod.com or using our Twitter handle at mitradpod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Guys, we, we're just simply two fans offering a discussion and reviews of some of our favorite books and characters. This podcast is not officially affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster. But thank you to them for bringing us this wonderful world of Mitch Rapp.